Welcome to Straight Talk Live. We are live. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for tuning again this Thursday in the universe for Straight Talk Live, a nonprofit that really is exploring the convergence of human transformation, digital transformation, and social impact. And we have an amazing show for you today. I am your host, Rick Snyder, one of your co-hosts, actually, Rick Snyder, CEO of Invisible Edge and cult- head of culture for Refound, author of Decisive Intuition. And I'm joined by my amazing, esteemed co-host, Af Maholtra. Af, take it away. Very kind of you, Rick. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening. Welcome again to a fantastic Straight Talk Live show. Today we have um, one incredible human being who's uh, not just a fantastic business leader and technology leader, but who's going to try and unpack uh, this whole concept of inclusive capitalism that we on the show have become very familiar with because of the past guests we've had. And it's part of our manifesto, actually, to talk about the social impact, community impact aspects um, of uh, big enterprise, uh, 3.4.0 enterprise. So I'm, of course, the co-host of uh, Straight.Live, the co-founder of Growth Enabler, and uh, without further ado, Rick, let's crack on and let's introduce our guest. Okay. So today we're going to be diving into digital technology as a driver for inclusive capitalism. And what does that even mean? How can technology actually support a more diverse and inclusive system and market? Is that even possible? Is that an oxymoron? Let's dive deeply and, and discuss that. So without further ado, I want to introduce our special guest for this next hour. Robert Jamison. Robert, welcome to Straight Talk Live. Uh, hello, Rick. I have many thanks for welcoming me on board and hello everyone else. Excellent. And, and let's just start with your background. So for those who might not know about you from our audience, could you just share a little bit about uh, wh- who you are, how you got to where you are? And uh, we'd love to hear just a, a little recap of that. So I'm currently the uh, Group Chief Digital and Technology Officer for Legal and General. Um, the third largest uh, insurer in the United Kingdom, big company, globally located. Um, I've been here 10 years. I've had a number of different um, experiences. It's a terrific company, terrific customers and clients. And before that, I spent 17 years in technology companies. So my my heart is around um, engineering and uh, the art of the possible through technology and data. Excellent. So let's start there first, Robert. What I'm curious about for you is, you know, we all have our personal interests and drives. Sometimes we're aware of them, sometimes we're not, but it leads us to our next destinations in our careers, in our lives. So I'm just curious for you, what is it that has been the most, what's been drawing you, what, what really excites you about this whole world of technology and also capitalism and how they merge? Um, so it would be about half a decade ago, I was managing customer services uh, in one of our divisions. And uh, this, is the, this is the retirement division. So th- these are um, elderly people. Some of them are very, very vulnerable. And we were looking at ways in terms of improving outcomes, um, how you could through, through digitization and uh, whether or not that was possible for such a, a, de- a demographic. Mm. And I guess we got really excited as we were progressing both the challenge and some of the solutions and um, seeing a, a, a client base that was getting was getting drawn in where we were helping them. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that quite quite profound, and I think that's where I got much more into you know what I would call the digital side of things. How you engage with customers, mm-hmm. both from retail customers, both from a data and digital perspective. 
of course, it's much broader than that. And I think that's, that leads into your, your, your next part of the, the, the question, inclusive capitalism. Mm-hmm. And what exactly is that? Let's unpack that a bit further. How do you think, uh, make sense of that? Mm. So if I, I, I think um, both public and private um, investment um, finance can, can, can um, um, exist side by side, I think that's an important, an important point. Um, there's not enough housing, there's an unequal society, there's climate change. Um, and it's important that um, we harness all forces, all possibilities in terms of working through those huge, uh, perhaps at times intractable challenges. If I bring it alive by a, a simple part, you know, by a part of our business. So mm. I talked about um, our new, uh, our, our um, you know, retirement business. We've got 1.6 million um, retirement customers. We pay them monthly and we're looking for an asset, uh, an asset base that can also pay those liabilities on a monthly basis. A lot of that is um, bonds, but actually some of it can come through other asset types. And this is where the inclusive capitalism can come alive. Companies could choose to invest in big tower blocks um, that, that extract huge rents in the city of London um, or in other expensive cities. But what we've done is, is to choose a path where perhaps we can invest in, in um, more inclusive um, things such as um, social housing, retirement homes, mm-hmm. um, reinvesting in um, some of our city, our city centres um, and things like that. And that brings alive the whole concept of inclusive capitalism. Inclusive capitalism is inclusive finance. We could probably make that more powerful. So I make that more powerful. Let's, let, let, let's put around it climate change. I mentioned that. Aging demographics, debt demographics, and then, of course, responsible, responsible business. So, you know, I already talked about um, that we invest a lot in retirement homes, but we also own, um, you know, house building companies. We have made investments in wind farms. So our wind farm investments power 2 million houses, homes in the United Kingdom. That, le- that, that brings in, that draws in the climate part of, part of things. We also invest in photo, um, you know, electric cell companies as well, and Podpoint for electric car hires. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like um, we feel that we can use um, our investment, our long-term investment, for the improvement in society and a much more inclusive and a much more inclusive society. Um, Robert, one of the things we found intriguing through this entire journey with StraightSock.Live is that we've had we've had different C-suite leaders, if you want to call them that, uh, from different companies talk about their their sort of uh, manifesto when it comes to doing doing good and making a difference to society, to, um, you know, the new sort of evolving formation of business. And often we see this pressure on executives and they've spoken quite openly about the fact that for a long time, at least for three decades or more, um, large enterprise has been forced to think in a very short-termist way, quarterly numbers, Mm. um, output massively about shareholder value. In fact, it's not just companies, even those people who were right the, the entire chain of the employee from graduate school to business school to first job second third job and management and leadership we've had a similar sort of mindset we've been so focused on um you know to some extent short-termism but actually giving shareholders a ton of value in fact jim collins book from good to great i remember when i was much younger and i did my mba it was like the it was the gospel it was like oh you got to read this book this is the book this is it's about from good to great and that that book is 
at this moment after the pandemic, I wonder whether that philosophy and that um, ideology actually is still relevant. And so one of the questions we always ask is big companies, whoever they may be, have been buried in this quarterly uh, cycle. And we start to talk about long-termism or the long game, thinking way ahead. And I'll, I'll refer to a gentleman called Mike Brown, who is the head of innovation for the Department for Defense in the, in the US. And I was privileged to listen to him about two weeks ago on a Hoover Institute uh, webinar, where he spoke openly about um, some of the big transformations US companies are thinking about seriously. And I would imagine it's the same with Europe and other large um, uh, organizations where the, you know, to, to, to drive change, to create transformations, be it digital talent transformations, um, uh, transformations around cause and, and purpose, higher sense of purpose. They're looking at whether a 10 year cycle is going to be better for a business. So a CEO doesn't hang around for a couple of years and says, great, I've done my bit, time for me to, to, to move on to the next organization. So um, what are your thoughts around, um, and you don't have to refer to the company you're in, you can talk about it in, in general. What are you seeing out there as being, um, and we're looking for hope, <laughs> we're looking for a little bit of hope. So are you seeing a positive shift in the mindset of, of uh, chief digital technology officers, CIOs, and even CEOs, CFOs, chief operating officers out there, where the collective of these C-suite guys and gals are thinking, well, actually, yeah, it is time to change the way we look at shareholder value and think in a long-term way about our, our business, because that talks to inclusive capitalism way more closely and intimately than yesterday's way of operating. So a long-winded example and context, Seda, but what, what are your thoughts? Um, so, I mean, again, I said in one of my earlier answers, so our particular company, Legal and General, um, invests for the long term. Um, that, that's, part of the, that's part of the business model. Our, our um, customers uh, have a hundred year life um, and we offer products at every stage of, of, of that life. I guess in terms of your other question, you know, in terms of quarterly, um, you know, quarterly, um, you know, time reporting into, you know, into stock markets, um, there's still a choice for companies, you know, isn't there? Um, I know, you know, that um, there's a number of companies out there that exist for much more longer term, much more um, societal, um, you know, um, type, you know, you know, type, um, uh, type philosophies. Um, those companies exist, you know, with with the e OECD. They exist in other international forums as well. So there is a beginning. It's probably more than a beginning as as, as well. You've also got companies that club together. They know their climate impact. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if you're a big, um, um, you know, a user of, of plastic or cans or, or something like that, you are contributing to, to climate change. Um, and you can see the companies, the, you know, those particular companies acknowledging that and actually doing something about it. There is much more to do, though. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's obvious because climate change is, is, is still happening. It's accelerating, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Do you think the uh, side question, when it comes to, to change, uh, people and decisions matter, right? Actions matter, perceptions matter. And I'm wondering whether, because we talk a lot about talent as well, we talk a lot about the next generation of leaders on this show. Um, 
And I often, and we talk about diversity and inclusion uh, a hell of a lot. So being very sort of straight talk with you right now, we often find that the boards of large companies, it's very common, are generally um, consistent with demographic, usually older white men, and you may have a few, you know, um, people floating around from diverse backgrounds. And that's changing, thankfully, because of the whole focus on diversity and inclusion and uh, better, better, better things are happening. But do you think there's an opportunity in your industry or other industry, especially because insurance banking is kind of much sort of there's a there's a legacy, right, where insurance companies, banks have been around for a century sometimes or longer. And there is a, there is a way of doing things and it's harder to change those organizations in technology. We call it the technical debt. It's like the legacy infrastructure, all of the things you bought years ago that you have to like unpack from. Do you think there's a there's a, an opportunity to bring in a new type of talent? Because I find young people, we find young people, Gen Z, even millennials are thinking about this, thinking about society and giving back and altruism in that space. And um uh, climate, for example, if you look at the Greta Thunberg movement, I mean, last week we had Abdullahi, who is uh, a social reformist, a young man, an incredibly inspiring young man from the World Economic Forum, uh, talking about how young people can create revolutions. And we did ask him a question. We said, well, that's fine. And that's amazing. But shouldn't you also operate and have these young people in large organizations creating positive revolutions? So tell us a little bit about what you're seeing either in your company or other companies around younger people coming in who can really care about this stuff. Um, uh, what are your thoughts? How do you feel about that? So there's a, there, there's a lot to unpack there. First, you said yeah. that um, boards are full of, of white old men. And then you said that uh, it's the youth of today that will make make the change. Yes, um, yes. And actually, everyone has a part to play in, in, in making making the change. And they do and, and they do um, make that change. If I think about um, diversity and inclusivity when it comes to when it comes to people, you asked me a question. What are we doing? Um, so we're incredibly active with ESG um, and corporate social responsibility. Um, we're at the top of the pile when it comes to voting against companies that don't have diverse boards. Top of the pile when it comes, you know, divestment from um, climate harming, um, you know, models and, th and things like that. You can see that all the way through. And that's important because, um, you know, we've got the clout, the size and the scale to be able to do that. I've got to let my cats out. They're like in front of me wanting to be let out. Um, so there you go. A bit of, a bit of Straight Talk Live, folks. Well, Straight Talk Live. A, life happens and we keep rolling. A cat there as well. Um, that's going in the transcript. Brilliant. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have a bloopers highlight at the end of all these anyway. So this is perfect. Keep going. That's great. Um, well, you know, where, you know, where was I? I think, you know, part a successful, I think a successful organization is one that draws in, you know, diver, you know a diverse set of people. Um, but their diversity and inclusivity isn't the same, same thing. You then have to be uh, doing something with that, with that diverse um, with that diverse you know, set of people? How do you make them feel more inclusive? How do you empower them? How do you set um, the boundaries, the, the, the guide rails where people um, can, you know, can feel that they're empowered and make, and make a difference? I think that's part of, you know, that, that's what companies have to strive to do. But that's uh, at um, all ages and all seniorities have a, play to, have a part to play in that. Mm -hmm. Mm. I have a question for you about technology, just to move more in the technology bucket for a moment. So when we talk about um, capitalism traditionally and trickle-down economics, 
you know, there's always this notion that we're really the wealthy are going to keep getting wealthy, but then somehow that's going to magically trickle down to everybody else. And it's really good for everyone. And that's just has not proven to be true. And we all kind of know that now. My question to you is more about how do you see technology today and the technology that you're savvy to or that you're seeing on the horizon also? How do you see that evening the playing field or op opening up more opportunities for people? Like, what, How do you see technology playing a huge role in that, that maybe we never had that opportunity before because of today's tech? I think so. Technology, the solutions um, are moving very quick. This is where it gets really, you know, really exciting. It's like every day in my inbox, there's like another 30, 30, 30 requests for calls about uh, another, uh, another bit of tech. Mm. And whereas when I first started, you know, 30 years ago, it would require a, a fairly large and expensive program to bring any bit of tech in. Nowadays, it's, it, it, it's so much more plug and play. Um, you can put in bits, you can pull out bits, depending where you're going with your business and where your customers customers want to go. Um, I find that really, really exciting. And companies you know, can and have done much more with that. Um, you started the beginning question in terms of you know, how, how it benefits people. We know in this country that um, people are scared of finance. Um, you know, it's like they don't really understand retirement. They don't understand that if you don't, you know, the more, more you save, the more you get to retire on and the more holidays, um, you can, there's no magic, magic, magic money tree. But people are scared and not everyone can, um, you know, afford or want to pay for a financial advisor. Yeah. So this is where your technology, um, you know, comes in. You can bring together not just your pensions and your, and your savings, but also other apps in that same ecosystem, um, whether it's around well-being um, or, or um um, how you might want to invest ethically or what you might want to save up for, whether or not you link that to your bank account um, or whether or not you want to link it, you link it to something else. I think that's where it comes alive. And through everything that I've just said, there's a thread where you can observe, are people getting more excited and passionate about this? Are they being drawn in? And that's where the data helps us. We can tell through data, we can see through data, whether or not what we're doing resonates with, you know, with, that, you know, with our customers. Mm -hmm. I think the final thing here is, you know, so we've got a, um, a huge um, DC business in, uh, in, in, the, in the UK. And what we're pushing, push, you know, pushing out is the ability for the employers um, to see who is, you know, which part of, you know, of, 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 of um, the United Kingdom, who's perhaps contributing more into their personal pension plans and who isn't. Mm. And they can use, again, some of our um, technology to then gently nudge them. Mm. Um, you know, if you save five pound more a week, you would retire on another thousand pound, you know, thousand pound a year, whatever the, you know, mm. the math, the, the math work up to. That's kind of interesting stuff as well. Um, that's all kind of new for the, you know, new for the industry. Mm -hmm. um, so you're, you're sitting in the gentle nudge before the drone strikes to really inspire them. That was yeah, a joke. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you know, that's 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 coming as well. You know, where Amazon come in with a drop and drop it. You just spend five quid on this Amazon thing. You could have put five pounds into your savings that's account. Right. Right. Um, and your savings account would deliver, you know, deliver this. Um, it's it, it, it's a lot more powerful, and we're seeing mm. that change. Well, mm. Sorry, what was you used the term just for the audience, DC? Uh, direct con 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 contribution. So your per personal mm. pension plan, where you're where you're saving, you know, fifty, hundred, a thousand pounds, you know, a year um, or a month into in, into your pension plan. 
And do you, when you think about technology, just going back to the, the pension funds and the customers and the clients you've got in that space, do you often tend to talk to them as well? Is it, or is it, you know, um, let's imagine I've got a pension and I put in 500 pounds a month or something. Um, do I get to talk to an insurance company at some point, some sort of a customer rep who cares about me? And I feel that that you do really care. Um, and how do you, use, if, if that is the case, how do you use technology? I'm referring to things like chatbots or, you know, there's a lot of AI around voice sentiment analysis to see, especially during the pandemic, um, people are going through a really tough times, whether it's unemployment or, uh, the mental well-being area is, is really being invested in heavily because both workforce and clients and customers. Is, is there any cool technology you're using in that space? You know, you each ask about seven questions in one question. <laughs> so um, to, you know, to um, uh, uh, unpack, unpack that one, <laughs> starting, starting, starting with the, you know, the COVID event, yeah. I call it event. It created three things that three, 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 three things that I saw. One was that um, we all moved into a virtual world. Uh, within two days. That was the first mm -hmm. thing. The yeah. second thing for all companies, COVID exposed the crunchy end of their operations, especially companies that had a lot of paper, paper processes. Mm -hmm. That's going to be very hard in a, in, a, in a virtual world. And the third thing, because everybody was locked down, they all moved into um, the digital world. Right. Um, so those were, the, those were the three things. So um, that presents three amazing opportunities mm -hmm. as, you know, as, you know, as well. You also talked about talked about well-being. I think COVID quite rightly homed in on well-being, but there were well-being challenges before COVID. Mm -hmm. If you use the example now of, I don't know, perhaps there's a couple in a studio flat or a one-bedroom flat and one person has to sit on the end of the bed um, and you know you're not allowed, you know, not, not, not allowed outside, that has an impact in terms of, of, of well-being. But you can also imagine, uh, you know, a person that's spending a third of their income on, you know, train, you know, train, train travel, um, and sitting at a linear desk in an office eating their pret sandwich. That's mm. another kind of 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 well-being challenge. We weren't necessarily focused on that before. Now we're focused on all of this. So, you know, from a from a virtual working, there's an opportunity for for organizations and people to move in a direct direction of work anytime, any place that suits me as an individual. Mm -hmm. I'm quite happy working from home. I like working mm -hmm. from home. Other people like working from the office and we collectively have to find a way of, of, of moving that forward. Mm -hmm. The crunchy end of operations, um, I mean, if you talked at the beginning about um, you know, legacy, you know, legacy mm -hmm. um, stuff, that somehow, and, and I come across so many people that, that, that say that somehow legacy is bad. Um, I actually quite like legacy. You can do a lot with legacy. More often than not, it's, it's incredibly cheap to, to, to run. Um, but again, that late, the latest tools, the latest uh, um, fintech that you can buy, you can extract data. You can do an awful lot with your, with, with, with your legacy. But what is pushed in, in terms of those crunchy end of the operations is much more into a, a technology world. Whereas before COVID, you might, you might have to send in a physical death certificate. A lot of companies were doing that. You, if, if there's nobody physical, nobody's um, you know, opening the envelopes, you have to move into a, a technology, take a picture, mm. send it in, somehow make sure, uh, ver verify it and make sure it's okay. And you have to do that within a matter of days because mm. you still have to pay your customers. Mm. Your customers could be vulnerable. You have, you know, we, have to, we, we, we have a duty of, of, of care as to other companies as well. So that required management to work through that um, um, very quickly. 
it's accelerated the whole digitization journey. That's something else that COVID is doing. Um, and I can see that just from, you know, it's, it's like the uptick in, in roles for, for digital and data, um, yeah. or perhaps companies are cutting back um, you know, elsewhere. There's an opportunity here um, to really push on and push ahead and push against um, a much more, much more financial inclusion. Mm. Have I answered your seven questions? You, you have, <laughs> I have many more, of course, but yes, you have. It's and and I think I'll pull a thread from there because, um, firstly, it's refreshing to see. Firstly, I'm very excited about what you said earlier on. Isn't it nice to feel like? And I'm not being geeky about it, of course, because you know I'm certainly not a coder, but I'm a technologist and I'm into digital and I run my own company and so on in this space. But isn't it nice to feel like some uh, the digital the digital revolution? We used to call it digital disruption three, four, five years ago. Um, has just been mass exponentially accelerated. Five or six years, I feel, of hard graft. If this didn't happen, would have been sort of the journey for us. And it's just boom. It's it's happened, and it's been good for people. It's been good for people because things have become faster, quicker, easier. I'm even seeing even my mother, you know, who's seventy plus while she was on mobile phones and so on, the, because she's at home a lot more and can't walk out and meet her friends and uh, can't socialize, she is turning to more apps and tools on her iPad and her phone. And she's asking us questions saying, so what about this app? And should I use that app? And she's doing the yoga and she's doing calm and she's saying, and, and it's wonderful to see uh, because it's helping her. It's helping her just be more of a digital citizen. And, and more importantly, she's connected with her grandchildren a lot more because they kind of are the millennials or the Gen Z. So the, the impact of digital is amazing. So I'm really great, grateful for that. Um, the, uh, there's a piece around uh, there's a piece around the future organization. So think, I don't know, five years, seven years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever time frame you think is fair. Um, where, where do you see, with now the, the shift in digital, where do you imagine your organization, if you can, 10 years out? What, what do you think it's going to look like? So I won't imagine my organization. I'll imagine other organizations. Sure. And, there, and, and there's a reason for doing that. Okay. I was listening in on the other great thing about the COVID event is that you, you're drawn into these virtual round tables. So, mm. so many more people and subjects and conversations are much more accessible. Mm. So I was sitting in, in one of these uh, round tables and I was fascinated about the tech. I was slightly distracted about the, the, the tech. I got excited. But the man in front of me was talking about you know, when you hire in a, a CEO, perhaps, uh, you know, a couple of years ago in some, you know, in, um, um, I don't know, top 100 companies, in each one of the countries, you're definitely looking for finance background. Um, and that's what you, you know, you, you know, you would expect. You would never hire in a CEO and his, you know, his, his or her first question was, I don't know what a balance sheet is. Mm -hmm. um, but um, where, he, where, where this guy was going was. Yet we do that all the time with technology. So me as a, as a technologist, I find I spend a lot of my time, um, you know, taking people along an agile path or what is an API or what, you know, microservices. And I don't think we should do that. I think that should come, that, that people should be inquisitive. In other words, in five to 10 years time, I think your CEOs will just be as technically, technically literate as they are financially literate mm -hmm. because yeah. it matters. Yeah. The two have to go hand in hand, and that'll have an amazing impact on um, on, on on the business. Yeah. I've always got a, a maybe I'm being controversial here because I sit in in, in technology, 
the idea that um, uh, technology somehow answers to the business and the business is, is a non-technologist, I find strange. Together, mm. all teams should be there for the customer. Um, you get the customer excited, they will buy more, and that generates the shareholder, shareholder value. And if you wrap that up, because the conversation is financial inclusion, then you're in a pretty good. And I think that will change as well whereby um, it's not just perhaps um, the selling teams and the marketing teams or the customer services teams that are at the front. It's also all of the technology teams as well. There are companies that do that model and do it very well. Mm -hmm. I think that would be a change. And I think it will all be anchored in a, a very agile workforce, not agile capital A in terms of you know, the delivery methodology, but where you get to work um, anywhere, anywhere you want. But we're not all sitting in offices in, in, in linear desks. Um, that actually we're, we're using those spaces to collaborate. And this technology that we're using at the moment just you know, moves on in leaps and bounds. Mm. That's, fa you know, that's fantastic. Yeah, sorry, you, you, you bring up an interesting point there, Robert, that you know, it really does come down to how much value are we really providing you know, as, as in all of our multi-cross-functional teams together you know, and how are, we, how are we really doing that at the end result to the client. And it just makes sense that the more that the client is going to be served, your customer, they're going to, you know, want to stay with you. They're going to want to keep buying things or engaging with you and being in your part of your community, whatever that's going to look like. So it's interesting where a lot of companies can be seen still as very profit driven and looking out only for themselves. And other companies are getting, wait a minute, if we actually really do serve the larger ecosystem, that's how we win. Right. And so there's this like self service to self and service to other. And, and sometimes, you know, you need to have a little bit of both, of course, for a healthy, equitable balance. But so often in, in our legacy, we've had much more service to self. We're going to extract what we get from our territory, our market share, all those things. How are you seeing the landscape shift? And is, does it seem more just like a PR move where it just looks good, sounds good for the media sound bites? Or like, where's, where are you seeing change really happen where people are really getting that? Being part of the ecosystem means being part of the ecosystem. Uh, so uh, your your first point that somehow it's always profit that comes first. Mm -hmm. um, I probably wouldn't uh, agree with that. Maybe mm -hmm. that's my um, liberal slash labor background. Um, but I wouldn't say that um, all corporations on the planet are there for, 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 for profit. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you have to make a shareholder return and profit mm -hmm. is part of it. But you may get that profit by delivering things that people people want that improves their lives, that improves the collective lives, um, and hopefully doesn't you know doesn't destroy the planet in in, in doing so. I think that's important. Mm. Agreed. I want to take uh, the conversation a slightly different pathway here, which relates to um, so the pandemics happened. We're still dealing with it, um, but the next big kind of tsunami or a sense of concern or fear that we've picked up in the, the sessions we've been running with different people is around security. Um, whether you call it cyber security, cyber terrorism, cyber warfare, and there's a lot of press around this. There has been for years, of course, and you know, we've had, we've had security talked about. It's part of your, as a technology leader, it's part of your mandate. You buy in security software, you do everything you can to protect the organization. What are your thoughts around, whether it's in your view in the role right now or otherwise outside in, um, inside out, you know, both work. 
What is your view around cyber, cybersecurity, cyberterrorism? Uh, given that digital is rife now and more and more people will be going online and more of this going on, more virtual roundtables, do, uh, do we need to be worried about the fact that we're exposing ourselves? Is there a sort of a hole in the system and our data is going to be sucked out and taken away? And um, tell us a little bit about where, where, where is your head at as both two hats, Lisa and then just um, a consumer of it. What's your view? So, uh, you know, as a, you know, as a consumer, I absolutely care about where my data is going mm -hmm. and what people are doing with it and whether or not it's, you know, it's, it, it's secure. And yeah. whilst I have a play, a part to play in that, I think the corporation that um, I'm using, um, it, it, you know, in the transaction has an absolute duty of care to protect my, my data myself to the highest, the highest principles. Imagine with, with Face ID that um, Apple got hacked and um, I've only got one face. I can change my password. I can't change my face. Um, you know, it's, or, 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 you know, or, your, or your finger thing. These are, these are big things. Apple absolutely has to protect my face. My face is unique and I don't want it stolen. Um, you know, and that, and, and that kind of, that, that kind of rounds it home. As a leader, so, you know, it's, it's, it's like some companies, you know, who, who perhaps come from a direction of, of big data, you know, big data centers, protect the perimeter, a lot of legacy, you know, and there's a lot of companies like that. And then you're wanting to draw in the cloud, um, you know, because you've got your consultants, we've moved on from outsourcing to big data. Now it's cloud and cloud enablement. Mm. The challenge with, you know, with cloud, as well as all of those fintech companies that I talk, talked about, it's so much easier to spin up bits of um, servers um, all over the globe with multiple, um, um, you know, cloud, cloud companies and start deploying these, you know, the, the, these fintech pieces of software. Mm. And it's not just about, do you put, um, do you, do you, do you, do you slam the lid shut on that? Nobody in any of these corporations are allowed to do that um, because you're, you, you're operating in perhaps the pre-world of data centers, protect the periphery and everything else. Yeah. There's a cultural change as well. I think I'm getting to the cultural change. And this is where a lot of organizations, you know, it's like whether or not you're bringing in agile or you're wanting to have a digital transformation or you're wanting to go cloud, you will only be successful if you recognize the cultural transformation that has yeah. to take place at the same time. Um, and you have to do that because absolutely back to you have a duty of care to protect your customer's data. It's not my data. It's, it's an individual's data. Mm -hmm. Right. So in other words, you, do you, do you think cybersecurity is the next big thing to worry about? Um, given, given what we've I think everyone's with? already worrying about it and they've been worrying about it for a, for, for a number of years. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's, I don't think it's the next thing. Um, again, across multiple organizations, you can see an uptick in spend, you can mm. see an uptick in capabilities. You know, five years ago, how many companies had CISOs? How many mm. companies now, five years later, do not have a CISO? Um, you know. Yeah, that's a chief information security officer. Um, mm -hmm. for those who are not familiar with that term. Mm -hmm. um, what, what do you think about, uh, what do you think about um, hiring and talent? Um, because again, we have, you know, as we go digital, we have all of these job opportunities coming up, data scientists, Python developer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
And you have all of these incredible tech titans who came to, seem to be vacuuming a lot of the talent globally um, for good reason. And then the tradi more traditional companies that are now going digital, I, I, I tend to refer to, to companies as dwindlers, Darwins, or disruptors. So the dwindlers who've woken up and smelt the coffee and become Darwins and aspirational disruptors uh, are saying, right, we've got to spend more on digital, we've got to hire more people, but they're not enough data scientists. I mean, this is it's around the world. We don't have enough technology resource or talent to hire, and we're all a bit of an arms race going on. Do you see the kind of um, hiring and resourcing models changing as well? Like, do you think a big company um, like Legal in general will start, you know, working off the gig economy or looking at open talent models rather than having people on payroll? Is that a consideration for you guys or the companies that you see out there as well? Um, I, so we've already, you know, over the past three or four, four years, we've already, we've already shifted substantially. You know, something as simple as uh, we used to have a, an IT and change job family, ITC, that means something. The IT is over there, change is in the middle, and the business is somewhere over there. That's a mm. bit cross, and it's now digital job families. Mm. It's about agility. It's about, um, um, you, know, the en you know, the engineers and, and, and DevOps. It's about empowerment as well to those, you know, to those, to those teams. Um, and I always try, you know, there's a hierarchy. I think the challenge with big corporations is that sometimes there's a hierarchy. And it's important that the hierarchy doesn't get in the way of, of those teams of, of engineers and um, UX designers and the rest of it. They're the ones that are, that are creating the value for the customers. Yeah. So I always ask, my job is to unblock for those teams. And I keep asking the question uh, to the, the, the um, scrum teams, how many, how many times do you have to ask permission? Because in a perfect world, you wouldn't, because mm. they would be delivering the value all of the time. And in that in, in that world, you're, you're, you're drawing your engineers and your UX designers, all the people that make up the Scrum team, much much closer to the customer, and that's really important. You're putting the customer into the you know into in, into the building, mm. and the rest of us, like me, um, you know, just shouldn't get in the way. We set um, um, strategy and vision and unblock. Mm. Um, I think um, in terms of the question around, again, with COVID, so what's, what, what's also happening there, you can work any place, anywhere. Um, you no longer have to be present. So now you can tap into talent all over the, you know, all over the globe. Right. And I can see, yeah, and I can see quite quickly where, where rather than being tied to one employer, you can be tied to a number of employers. There's, there's much more piecemeal work because it's easier to do in the virtual world. The same as I can jump out of this conversation and jump into another virtual conversation. So you should be able to do the same if you're if you're an engineer. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's just on the horizon. Mm -hmm. Nice. Let me let me ask you about this. Um, we've been talking a little bit about, of course, the digital technology that's driving the processes involved in creating inclusive capitalism. Um, how are how are other companies implementing these ideas? What are you seeing in the space in terms of technology really enabling a more inclusive market? I think some are doing so. There, there, there are similar companies to ourselves. Um, we know that we've we've banned, you know we've joined forces with you know with some of them. Um, there are other companies that are, are incredibly interested in finding out more, and there are also companies where we can learn from as you know as you know as well. And I think that's also um, really interesting and exciting. And I think you know I, I found that that people tend to be um, quite open about um, some of the opportunities and, and, and some and some of the challenges. Mm-hmm. And just curious, do you have any specific examples of how you're seeing that happen in the space? 
I don't want to get drawn into individual names. And and you don't have to name names? Question. I guess more I'm curious is just, try, I'm still trying to get a more of a real grounded right, so, sense. Yeah. So if I think about um, um, tech ecosystems, so if we're coming, if we're coming up with, um, I don't know, a savings or retirement ecosystem, or you're talking about later, later life, um, and you've got things like open finance, open insurance, um, open, bank, open banking, and you've got fintech companies that are starting from the ground up, Mm-hmm. Um, with microservices and APIs, that plug and play thing that I, I talked mm-hmm. about um, you, know, 30, you know 30 minutes ago, that conversation around that eco that, that ecosystem concept, that's what I mean. And it's mm-hmm. like those fintech companies or those other microservices, they could be owned by very small companies, mid-sized tech companies, or even um, you, you know other financial services companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you get the conversation as well. You're plugging somebody else's bit of tech. They'll, you know, it's, it's monetized for them, um, but we've thought of a way of how to perhaps better engage with customers, um, whether it's just the engagement or better products, different products, um, and the services and tools to help them make their decisions. Mm-hmm. Do you see, just going back to that point, the um, um, going back to the ecosystems example that you, you shared earlier on, um, when, when you think about... Um, um, backing, I, I know legal in general in particular, and many other insurance companies have obviously the investment arm of their business that, of course, you're, you're also part of. And that investment arm directly or indirectly um, cares about uh, a lot of things, including taking equity positions in exciting companies. So whether through partnerships with venture capital organizations or themselves, you know, we've been starting to see legal, uh, excuse me, insurance companies develop their own VC arms or corporate venture capital arms that are clearer, more direct and so on. Um, when you think about um, inclusive capitalism and you think about this concept of um, R&D, and I just don't, I don't mean R&D in the pure sense, which is like, you know, a bunch of guys in the trenches with big sort of rigs coming up with new ideas and, and code. That's one part of it. The other is the R&D related to, to energy. Uh, you talked about wind power a second ago and alternative sources of energy. Um, when you're trying to create cultural transformation in an organization and your workforce really is really looking up to the brand and saying, wow, I'm part of this cool company that cares about society. We are practicing inclusive capitalism um what sort of advice or guidance is not about your company per se what sort of um if someone's you know ceo was consulting you and says um robert what should i do when it comes to r d how can i spend more how can i do more with r d inside and outside the company to push forward the mandate of inclusive capitalism what sort of what sort of things would you say what would you say blank, blank check blank check and so you can't um cats fighting that you can't um um, so first, you can't greenwash. It's important not to greenwash. And there are, there have been examples where where companies have greenwashed. Um, I think it's cynical, and they usually get you know found out as well. It's easy to you know to drill to drill down. It's just a market a marketing thing. Yeah. Um, I think you have to put in your investments to back up um, um, you know what you're saying you're doing. So from a legal and general perspective, we've come, we've got a partnership with Oxford University, four billion pounds worth of investment. And that's to, you know, build out research labs, accommodation, um, you know, partnership in order to, you know, to provide research. And we do that in a number, a number of cities. Mm. We've taken a, you know, stake in um, a fusion, a nuclear fusion company. Mm. Um, you know, these are, these are interesting, these are interesting things. And again, it all helps with, um, um, 
the facts on the ground that act, actually legal in general aren't just saying we're financially inclusive, we're actually doing it as, as, as well. It's not the case that, um, you, know, we're, you know, we're busy saying that um, other people's boards aren't gender, you know, gender diverse, mm-hmm. ours are as well. It's not the case that somehow we're voting against other companies because they're not carbon neutral. We're also, you know, we've also got a, a solid plan of how we're going to be carbon neutral. Um, and the houses that we build, a good example is that um, we have a modular homes um, company. We have a, you know, brick building company as well. And within a, within a few years, they will also be carbon neutral. We've mm-hmm. taken stakes in ground source pumps, uh, you know, company. All of that helps by pushing not just our business into a carbon neutral world, but also the customers um, that participate um, um, you know, with us as you know, with us as well. We're also taking them and they're together in a carbon neutral direction. That's really exciting, mm. um, and it's all bound up with technology. A lot of those investments are are, are from a technology angle, not necessarily a you know a, a digital what's what you see on an iPhone, but yeah. um, you know whether whether it's transmission or um, how you get um, you know more elect, you know electric generated from from um, solar cells and so on. That's equally as important. Mm. Mm, bang on. Well, it, it, I'm getting excited about all. It's great, great to know this, and a lot of our listeners and audience who's going to listen to this live and and replay. I, I think one of the things that's very important why why we invited you on the show, of course, is as as a corporate leader, is because um, we've we've almost gone through a phase with Straight Talk Live. We started off with, of course, the, the concern around the pandemic, mental well being. We had psychologists, we've had historians, we've had business leaders, and so on. And we've talked about the sort of the dire, the pain, the trauma that's come from all of this. And we're now sort of moving towards the, the phase of hope. And we're, we're, we're trying to look at the light at the end of, end of the tunnel, um, both from the point of view of um, all the other things I've talked about, but also big companies. Big companies, it's all, it almost feels like big companies are actually going to get better in the future because this conversation will, would never have happened three or four or five years ago, frankly. Uh, and we certainly would have met on this forum and we wouldn't have that ambidexterity where you're here now and minutes later you're somewhere else having another conversation with another group of of people so we feel hopeful and um with that in mind actually i just want to make sure that folks who are on the show through all the channels if you want to ask questions now is a good time because we're coming to the close of the show um and feel free to throw that our way. Um, for, for the audience, whilst that's coming in, uh, Robert, for the audience out there, um, what what, um, what is what has been your sort of experience of, um, I know you're going through your own transformations, personal and professional, I'm sure, like we all are. Uh, what has the pandemic meant for you? Uh, and if I may, more personally rather than professionally, um, what have been the behavioral changes, habits, uh, mindset, lifestyle changes that you've experienced. It'd be good to hear for those who sometimes think that corporate leaders are a million miles away from them because we're all kind of the same in many ways. So the, uh, I mean, COVID, the event has has uh, affected and impacted everyone, everyone um, albeit in different ways. Some mm-hmm. have been through health, um, some have been through economic, you know, economically, and everyone from a, you know, from a, from a, from a well-being perspective. Um, but I think that focus. So, you know, would I have polled our, you know, our staff, um, you know, a year ago? Do you want to work from? You, do you want to work from home? But we're doing that now, mm-hmm. and when I, I've done that, and only one person wants to come back to the office full time. Mm-hmm. We have to pay attention to that. Why? Yeah. Because we still want to recruit in staff. 
it's, it's shifted. You, you ask the question about employing people, it's, it's shifted. We have to take that into account. The other focus that we both talked about was, you know, was well-being. Whereas perhaps um, um, it was recognized pre-COVID, it, it is an entire focus now. And you can see you can see it in the newspapers, you can see it, what we're doing as well. And that's also rolled up in, in, in this as well. Um, us as individuals matter and our well-being matters as well. And in a corporation, which is a collection of us, um, we have to come together to make sure that we recognize that. I think that will help inclusivity. Um, I really do. So if we all took time out to better get to know the person next to you, you're yeah. creating much more of an inclusive. That helps with trying to bring together teams to solve challenges, whether it's customer challenges or societal challenges um, or you know, you know, climate change challenges. And I think that's quite, that's quite powerful. I think that's also a direction of travel that we're rapidly moving in. The genie's been let out of the bottle and I don't think the stop is going to be put back in. Mm. And I'm really happy that that is the, the, that's the case. Yeah, we'll capture that as a quote, actually. Um, the genius. <laughs> that's a powerful quote. I knew I would get quoted. Yeah, yeah of course, without <laughs> question. Um, we're actually launching at the end of, you know, as we're having a sort of informal chat here as well, we're launching the uh, Straight Talk Live. Um, you know, a book of disruptive ideas and conversations, because, of course, we've had so many powerful conversations on the same sort of issue, but with different um, lenses, you know, people providing their own perspective, a, a philosopher, a historian um, uh, like a Charles Eisenstein, who you're probably familiar with, he's coming on the show again, versus a academic from Berkeley University who is, uh, you know, like Jody Halpern, who's the head of uh, empathy there. Everyone's got a very similar but different viewpoints on where we are now and where we're going to end up. And there's so many variables, it's complex. It's not, unfortunately, it's not straightforward. Um, and we're putting this this book together. Every year we've decided, every, at the end of every year, we're gonna put, put a book together where we're going to have the transcripts of the conversations, i.e. the quotes and, and the big messages, of course. And um, and it, we're, we're hopeful that th this form of content and this dialogue that you're having and you're being as open as you can be, um, is going to help our audiences. We have academics listen to this. We have entrepreneurs. We have young people who are looking for jobs, of course, coming out of university. A lot of them are kind of depressed, uh, some hopeful, but they're a little bit disparaged by the fact that there's not enough employment. They spent years trying to educate themselves. So we have to, we have to think about that generation. Uh, the same the same generation who came on the show a few few weeks, months ago, who said, well, they've said, well, the MBA was a total waste of money and time. And so that was debated by the head of MBA at UCL. Um, to those who I think you're going to help who say, you know, I think it's your statistic and from, I got it from, I think, your website that only 33% of UK millennials on the property ladder versus uh, baby boomers, which, which was about 60% at the same stage. So we need the help of large enterprise who've got resources and money and wherewithal and foresight to help these generations. So um, we're really grateful that you've come on the show and you've been open about your ideas and your thoughts. Um, any last, um, uh, sorry, Rick, any, anything that's burning with you and you want to sort of uh, the last few questions before um, we close off? I, I mean, I think where I always get excited, Robert, is like being a futurist and just trying to imagine the future. And so I just want to hear, is there anything else that you would love to share of the things that are exciting you in the space that you think could really make a difference in the next year or so? Um, 
I think that so uh, we were talking about this uh, when we were on holiday la last week. Um, it's the whole stay at home and, and shopping thing rather than having, um, if you think about um, everybody's moved online, you've still got pages and pages and pages of linear clothes or objects or things like that. And it, if you get back to an individual, I like touching and feeling things and I'm trying clothes on or I want to open a fridge door or whatever. And the bigger the price point, the more I want to, the more I want to touch. Again, that's just my preference. I think where, um, you know, the, the, the um, AR is going. So, um, you know, virtual reality is, you know, is going. I think companies will move much more rapidly in that direction. In other words, you can spin things in, in, a, in, in a three dimensional plane. You can do that already, but the sophistication um, will just become better and it'll become more personalized to my preferences. I think that will rapidly happen because these companies have to differentiate themselves, not just on price or whether or not you can pay within three seconds, um, but also the, um, the personal experience. There's something about going to, you know, Selfridges or a town centre or, or wherever and having lunch out. Um, not everything can be at home. And I know I'm talking about in a, in a lockdown scenario, but we're still restricted. That would be interesting exciting. There's a question that's come in from social media. It's uh, it's uh, glad somebody's asking a question. Yeah, uh, well, quite, well, there are a few. We select them uh, depending on what they are. We'll see what the feedback is as well later. But it's it's just um, it's but so the question is, uh, can you in one word answers or, or bunch of words, can you uh, share some uh, this? I think this kind of relates back to this inspiration hope thing going forward. So a few words from Robert that would summarize or give us an idea of. Uh, hope, ho hopeful words of what the future may look like. So single bursts of words I think this person is looking for, um, sound bites. So just throw a few out that um, that you believe make up the future. Uh, <laughs> uh, agility, I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's a very good word. Um, I think uh, the customer, the customer centricity. I think I, as an individual, um, matter, um, and that needs to get woven. And um, uh, there's just more opportunity for me and I uh, to do what I want rather than trying to fit in with others. Um, I think that's important, but it's equally important that we can come together and uh, you know improve things. There you go. I, that sounds like I, twenty words. Brilliant. No, that's brilliant. I matter. That's uh, that's. I like that. Uh, that's that's really good. It's profound. It's important. Um, before we, we say goodbye to you, could you give us a sense of how well how's the last 57, 58 minutes been for you? Uh, any feedback for us? We're always looking to do things better and 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 be sharper. But how's this experience been for you um, today, Robin? I think it's been really good. Um, the only thing I'd be interested in is some kind of like counter of who's dropped in, who's dropped off. And when yeah. people are in the, you know, in the in the globe, that would be interesting. Mm. Yeah, we're trying to consolidate because uh, we've got um, Facebook Live and we've got YouTube. Um, we're trying to find a way. If you have a technology that you can share with us, then tell us. We're trying to find a way to get all the stats together in one place. We haven't quite cracked that code yet. Hence, we've got Denise on the, looking at the social media channels, and we're here on Zoom. But we will do that for the next show. Mm -hmm. And um, thank you so much. You've been mm -hmm. uh, fantastic. Thanks for your time, for your energy, and your passion. And we wish you um, well for your future ambitions and goals. And and please stay in touch with us. And um, you know, we, we um, please look after yourself and thank you for supporting straighttalk.live. 
Af, Rick, Denise, thank you. It's been amazing. And really quick, Robert, where can people find out more about you? Where should they go? Oh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Okay. Robert yeah. Jameson at LinkedIn. Okay. Okay. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you, Robert. And for everyone else, just want to let you know that we are going to be going live next week, same time. We touched on this a little bit today, but we're going to double click on this in a much deeper way uh, next week around data privacy. Is it on life support? Um, is it dead? Is it is it defunct? Um, what can we do to actually protect ourselves? What should companies be doing uh, to be more responsible that way? We're going to have two amazing experts in Anurag and Mateo, who's a return guest, um, to really look at this deep dive around data security and privacy issues. So if you care about your privacy and security, you're not going to want to miss that show. Um, all of you, thank you so much for tuning in. And you can always check out our replays um, on Spotify, iTunes, and you can always go to our website at straighttalk.live to catch anything as far as speaker notes, uh, what we're up to project-wise, uh, and the different initiatives that we have to try to really bring this work to you out there in the world. So Af, thank you again. Thank you, Denise, for all of your incredible support behind the scenes and our whole team. Um, and may everyone have an incredible day today, incredible evening, wherever you are in the world, and keep straight talking with those around you. That's how we're going to make this world a better place. Okay. Thank you. Good night. Adios. Adios.